0: Hi, this is Lenny Kaiser, Senior Editor of ClearanceJobs.com. Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Podcast. Today, we're joined by Kimberly Berlin, owner of Compassionate Beginnings, a private integrated therapy practice in Leesburg, Virginia. Her work focuses primarily on national security cases, including the evaluation of security clearance holders. She recently wrote an article for Clearance Jobs about how millennials are upending traditional security assumptions. She joins us to talk more about that article experimentation is one thing and occasionally mm-hmm. use is one thing, but there are folks that you know, and we find that in the clearance application process for, where substance abuse has been a serious issue. Do so you encounter those folks, you know, cleared or otherwise, when it comes to counseling and treatment kind of what recommendations do you have there? Mm-hmm. Do you see any generational differences in, in terms of when you do encounter millennials that say, hey, this isn't just something I can easily give up? What are the steps to take?
1: Um, yes, I do across the board. Even in security clearances, I've had the one or two or even five, I think it's the total now, who really needed treatment. And, and, you know, that's, um, very difficult to convey. And, but because the evaluation process is so objective and because it is black and white. There's no judgment from Kimberly involved in this. These are standardized questionnaires, standardized approaches, et cetera, standardized interview practices with everything objective. One of the first things that I do is I always let an individual know what their scores are. If in the case of one of the uh, questionnaires, the score is particularly high, I let them know. Okay, so this is the norm, this is a problem, and then this is a serious problem, and you scored beyond that. So what we're looking at is dependence. The question then comes to, well, now what do I do? And my answer always is, I think you should consider treatment. And treatment um, can take different approach, but the top tier of treatment would be to go to a treatment center and get serious professional help. That's a minimum of 30 days. or Treatment can be 30, 60, 90 days outpatient, where you go to groups, and you get psychoeducation, and you also have um, counseling involved. And the third level, which is the the least intrusive, really, into an individual's life, is to engage in a 12-step program whether that's Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, and really throw oneself into that. What's interesting to me is that some of the millennials who have presented with issues, with serious problems, daily smoking of marijuana or repeated use and problems, etc., high scores on the questionnaires, they really truly feel that it's natural I hear that a lot, but it's natural. It's an herb. It's legal. Therefore, it couldn't be that bad. So what I do is I have images of brain scans that I show them. The images come from the AMEN, A-M-E-N, or AMEN, AMEN Clinic, uh, and it's amenclinic.com, and this clinic specializes in Uh, FMRI and PET scans, so three-dimensional brain scans, and have examples of here is a 20-year-old with one year or an 18-year-old with three years of marijuana use, and this is what their brain looks like. Nine times out of 10, an individual who sees those scans will be stopped cold in their tracks because the damage to the brain from excessive use, daily use, or continued use despite despite consequences is serious. And you can see it in the images where blood flow has been constrained or in some instances entire shape of certain brain areas have been altered due to use. Now, the good news is that you can heal your brain, but it's going to take a couple years at least with zero use and, and a changed lifestyle. I think that if individuals who present with a problem are to really get and and appreciate the kind of problem they're up against, seeing brain scans, in my experience, is, is the sort of the turning point for them. And it helps, I think, because they finally can wrap their head around, that they can wrap their head around. Yeah, well, it may be legal and it may be an herb that grows out of the ground, but Jesus, that's my brain. Because again, this is a generation that really prides themselves on their brain capacity. They're smart, you know, and their ability to multitask and use their brains in very unique ways. So when they see that images where, no, sorry, marijuana is going to definitely affect your brain, it, it really pulls them up short. For individuals who are, perhaps have drinking issues and go to Alcoholics Anonymous, there is a, an emerging, if you will, and this is now three to four years, emerging mindset that the whole anonymity aspect of one's recovery is not necessarily a good thing for several reasons. So a, an entire movement has arisen called Faces and Voices of Recovery. The purpose of this movement was to, for lack of a better phrase, bust the stigma and to change that public perception. And what has occurred is nothing short of miraculous because all of a sudden people have come forward admitting that they are in recovery. That they are alcoholics or they are drug addicts in recovery. And they're individuals who not only are the girl and the boy next door, they're CEOs of major corporations, they are chief financial officers of Fortune 100 companies, they're senators, congresspeople, they are newscasters, they are movie stars, they are sports stars they're showing their faces and letting the american public realize if you will this is what recovery looks like that's a huge thing what what a lot of the industry in addiction is seeing is that the more people are coming out the less the stigma and public perception is Negatively impacting that very individual who's trying to change and turn their life around or who has turned their life around. It's, I think, important if anyone who is trying to get a a high, high, you know, a security clearance, a, a government job with very high security clearance. It's important if one has, let's say, five years of sobriety and is participating in Alcoholics Anonymous and went to treatment and is you know, engaged with a sponsor and it, it, going to meetings regularly and has sponsees themselves to be very honest about it. Yeah, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Oh, and by the way, if anybody here has a problem, I'll be more than happy to help them. It may not be. For all of the agencies but I would imagine that most of the agencies are very grateful when an individual comes forward and lets HR for instance or their supervisor know hey you know I'm in recovery I've, I've been in recovery 10 years or 15 years that actually shows more stability than than not because we all know that overcoming this disease is huge I think it's important For all of us to understand, this is a disease. When it gets to the point of being a disease, it is a disease. And it's a disease of the brain. So therefore, it requires immediate help. Again, whether that's long-term treatment, outpatient treatment, or attendance at 12-step meetings. Asking for help is not a failure. It's actually the most courageous act that any human being can engage in, is to ask
0: for help with a disease. No, I'm just, you bring up a a great point as far as the stigma, because I think there is something, you know, the use itself is an issue for the government. Seeking help Mm -hmm. for any Mm -hmm. kind of substance abuse or mental health issues is no issue for the government. You know, and they just changed question 21 on the SF-86 to address mental health issues To reiterate that seeking mental health counseling is not a red flag on your security clearance. You don't even have to report that um, unless, you know, there are certain specific criteria, you know, that you do have to report under. But just in general, seeking counseling is not an issue. And being proactive about that and then listing that, you know, proactive action that you took on your SF-86 is a positive to the government and not a negative. The negative is trying to hide it or not seeking help for an issue.
1: Precisely. And I think that that is why it's, you know, it's so interesting because it's so interesting. The individual who has a problem and knows they have a problem is subject, if you will, to the very nature of the problem which keeps the individual caged and or jailed, if you will, in a perception that is not real. In other words, someone who has a problem knows they're sneaking a drink, knows they have a problem, they know it, right? But they're going to say, but I can't let anybody know. I can't ask for help because then, right? So, But that's the nature of the disease is the alteration of our perception and our self-talk. (laughs) <laughs> and yet, the easiest thing to do is say, you know what, I think I have a problem, I need to get help. And then all bets are off. Everybody is there to help you. So it, it's a conundrum. The very disease itself is the thing that will, will keep you enslaved. The very keys to unlock the door to freedom is the hardest thing that any addict or alcoholic the hardest thing for them to grab onto are the keys to freedom, but that is the nature of the disease. By the time it's become a disease, that's where our mind and our psyche is locked in, and that's entirely the process of the brain reward system So, and the neurobiology of, of addiction. It's true. The government, if you, if you tell them you need help or that you're engaged in a program of help, they're very supportive. It's the actual remaining involved in um, illicit or mood or mind altering substances that is causing problems that they're not too keen on. It's hard. It's hard. But the good news, I think, is that we are turning around little by slowly. We are turning around around the perception of the stigma. We're turning things around in terms of policies, of laws, Um, look no further than the American with Disabilities Act, the um, Parity Act, where insurance companies cannot deny help for someone with a mental health or substance abuse problem. There are numerous laws now that protect mental health and substance abuse issues and individuals who are seeking assistance. And I think that's also part and parcel of this new movement that has been a, a serious groundswell um, uh, that has been taking place and i'm all for it i'm i'm right behind it <laughs> so. this is a fascinating generation a fascinating topic i i really stand by my my admonition that unlike some of their processors this really is the ge- that seems to be known as greatest generation because when they finally get get if you will in in air quotes that you know yes i, ha- I want this job it involves a security clearance evaluation i'm going to quit by gum i'm not going to use ever again they mean it they really mean it and they stick to their guns it's not that the risk is too great. It's that they really have such high expectations of themselves. And if they if, if they lower the bar, actually lowering the bar just isn't something in their consciousness. It's raising the bar. As a group, they want to see better conditions in the workplace. They want to see better things happening in the world. They are totally dedicated to that. And I think that hopefully, you know, we will make way for more millennials uh, coming into government, because I think they have an enormous amount to offer us in, in terms of how we work, how we make decisions, how we implement policy and, and processes. But I really believe that they are the next great generation to come. And they're already happening. They're already here. I think we need to applaud them a little bit more.